The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. You know, I love my audience calls, and I know when any, anybody calls and they always post it online and they post a clip online, we have a lot of fun with it. I'd love to talk to you. Send me an email to podcast at johntaffer.com. Tell me your travel stories, business situations, personal situations, whatever you want to talk about. Put me on thin ice. Challenge my ass. But do it at podcast at johntaffer.com. Casey will give you a call, and we'll get you on a show, and I look forward to talking to you. Casey, I had this realization the other day that the second most intimate thing in my life, other than my wife, is my my pillow. <laughs> I, I love this freaking thing. It's unbelievable. And, you know, hats off to Mike Lindell for inventing this thing. It's such a great American story. But I have four my pillows on my bed. I have two my pillows on the guest bed. I have three my pillows in the plane and five my pillows in my bus. I hate traveling on a road without my my pillow because you get so used to it it's so good that i even have one on set that they keep in my wardrobe box so as production moves from city to city what do you think moves with it my my pillow so if you haven't tried one i am telling you this thing is unbelievable it, it stays cool all night long so you don't wake up at three in the morning to flip it over all the time i used to do that all night long it completely keeps its shape your head doesn't sink you don't have to fluff it in the middle of the night and it comes back, comes with the money back guarantee until March 1st. So if you don't like it, you can return it. Listen to me. Do this. My pillow comes with a 10-year warranty. And no other pillow comes with a 10-year warranty. And you can toss it right in your washer and dryer and it's like new. And it's made in the USA from materials made in the USA right in Minnesota. If you haven't tried one of these, listen to me. It's not a gimmick. Go check out MyPillow. I guarantee you'll like it. I love mine. So go to MyPillow.com, click on a buy one, get one free special, and use code TAFFER, and you'll get one free pillow when you buy one at regular price plus shipping. Take advantage of their best offer by going to MyPillow.com, click on the buy one, get one free special, and enter the promo code TAFFER. You will be glad you did. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started, because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Well, here it is, November 26th, post-Thanksgiving, and it's time for another edition of my No Excuses podcast. And I'm sitting here in Tampa, Florida. It's beautiful out here. It's about 78 degrees. It's an amazingly sunny day. And I'm thinking of all of you that are sitting in a snowstorm. So some of you are stuck in a snowstorm. I have the perfect thing for you to do right now. Hit subscribe at Apple Podcast or go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app and you'll get new episodes every Tuesday. Also, I'd love it if you add comments or like, and if you'd like to be on the show, just send me an email to podcast at johntaffer.com. That's podcast at johntaffer.com, and my buddy KC will get you set up, and, and you'll be one of the callers on the show. So this is a great week after Thanksgiving, and I hope everybody got to spend some great time with family, but being down here in Florida <laughs> and coming here through a uh, 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 Indiana uh, from Las Vegas, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention all the pictures my friends have sent me the past few days of their cars with trees broken on them. And apparently, my father-in-law told me that Chicago had, and I never heard this before, a thunder lightning storm. And that there were images of lightning behind the snow falling in the sky. So it was a pretty amazing thing. So I hope everybody in the upper Midwest is recovering from this. But uh, it's been a uh, great, great week for me. And there's a lot of strange things uh, going on in the news. But I'm most excited about my guest today. So I became a Nita Strauss fan when I was sitting home and I watched a film called Hired Guns on Netflix. Casey, you ever see that movie? I haven't seen it yet. No, but I will now. It's about the greatest studio musicians in the country, and it's about these 15 or 20 people who play on almost every record, and they're all of the people that we don't know that make the greatest albums that we all love, all the studio players, and the number one ranked female guitar player by Guitar Magazine is Nita Strauss. 
She's unbelievable. She is the top-ranked female guitar player in the world. And what's unbelievable is her ancestry is she she is related to Johann Strauss, which is unbelievable when you think of her lineage back to classical music. So when I saw that movie, I had to get Nita on the show, and we got her. So she's my guest this week. I got some great calls from Tampa and uh, uh, Illinois and New Mexico. But before we even get going, I just want to take a second to thank my sponsors, BetDSI, MyPillow, Quicken Loans, LinkedIn, and True Cars. Uh, without them, Casey, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. So you know, I appreciate all the support that they provide us and all the freedom that they give me to say whatever the heck we want to talk about on this podcast. There's a couple of things to talk about here, Casey. One, you know, I saw a story about a woman who won her second lottery in a month. First time she won a quarter of a million dollars. Second time she won $252,000 playing the same number every day for the month. And she won twice, which is pretty incredible. When I was young, I had a gardener who used to come to my house every week. And I'll never forget this. He won the lottery in New York State, one of the first ones for $100,000. And back then, that was a lot of money, and I always wondered if he was going to come back to work or not after he won that lottery. So the next week, I'm looking, I'm looking, and sure enough, he shows up, and he works, and he works. About three months later, he won the New York State Lottery a second time, Casey. I mean, wow. think about that. A second time. This time, he won a million dollars, and then we never saw him again. <laughs> So uh, 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 that was an amazing thing. And he moved upstate, and, and obviously he had a great retirement. But what a great story to think that somebody won twice, total of over half a million dollars. I never cool. win. I never win. Uh, yeah, well, you got to keep trying, though, buddy. That's the <laughs> trick. you got to keep trying. So, you know, you wonder. And, of course, there's no statistical odds of this because if you play roulette – and you bet 22 every time, or you bet a new number every time, all this uh, uh, mathematicians will tell you there's no statistical great, you know, it could be anything, and every time that wheel spins is any number could come up, and of course that's true. But you'll wonder, if you were going to play the lottery, do you play the same number all the time like this lady did? Or you just pick numbers out of the sky each week? Do you play your birthday? Do you play this? It's interesting. And I wonder what the prevailing strategy is of lottery players around the world. <laughs> when I was young, my father bought a lottery ticket every week. And I have no idea what numbers he picked or, or how he did it. But he was always convinced he was going to win. And when he died, he had this huge box of lottery tickets. And that was about it. No winnings, unfortunately. So Eloise Diape, did you hear about Eloise? No. She she uh, has six babies with her uh, a spouse ape named Unky, and she's been on birth control for a long time because they didn't want her having another baby, and she's getting older and stuff. And she had another baby, so if if you go online and look up Eloise the ape, there's really pictures of her baby and really fun stuff online to see about her. Just goes to show birth control doesn't work with apes all the time either. So I wonder if she is going to cause a a a lawsuit. Against Unky. I mean, can she sue the zoo? Think about it. Could somebody on behalf of this ape, because this is the, the freaking legal world that we live in. Let me play with this for a minute. So could I, as a concerned citizen, file a lawsuit on behalf of Eloise saying that the neglect of the zoo, which did not obviously provide the proper uh, birth control protection, caused Eloise to have another child, which has risked her well-being put undoing financial burdens upon her. <laughs> and therefore, I expect some type of damages back from the zoo for the screw-up. Am I crazy? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> My guess is, and if there's a lawyer who's listening who wants this case, I'd love to hear from you. Because my guess is there is some attorney in the world somewhere who will grab this case <laughs> and protect poor Eloise who at this late stage in her life, think about it, Casey, it just, it's, I got to say it, it's fucking horrible <laughs> to think at this stage in her life, she now has another child with all the burdens that comes to it. She's got to buy clothes all over again, deal with back to schools, daycare. It's just, it's, it's completely unfortunate, but <laughs> let's see if a lawyer calls me or not. So there's a dog in Turkey who is a shoplifter. And there's videotapes online, and this dog goes into the store, and he grabs a certain sweater or an article of clothing and leaves. Then he comes back a little while later, and he grabs another article of clothing, and he leaves. 
and they can't seem to catch this dog. And the security agent said, it's okay. It's just this wild dogs from the neighborhood. But I say BS. Wild dogs don't know to come in and pick a sweater and leave. Anyway, I just find it interesting that they would think a, a, a just a, a wild dog would know to come in and take a particular article of clothing and run out the door, come back and get another one. So it's not like he's getting a dog treat. So I'm guessing it's, it's a trained dog. Then a bummer about the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Have you heard about this one, Casey? The Leaning Tower of Pisa is straightening itself out. Oh, no. <laughs> in the past 10 years, it's moved considerably in the exact direction that they don't want it to. Now, you think in normal life they would want this thing to straighten itself out. It becomes inhabitable. They could lease office space, <laughs> use it for something. Uh, uh, no, it's actually straightening itself out, and they're concerned that the straight tower of Pisa will probably not be the same tourist attraction that the leaning tower of Pisa is. But uh, uh, I thought that was a pretty funny picture. They show you how much it's actually moved online. So, Casey, I just hired a new chief of staff, Sean. I love this guy. He's been with me for just a few weeks, but he it's been it's like he's been with me for months. And you know, I learned such a lesson as to how to hire and where to go to hire today. It's so important to find the right person. But where do you find that individual? You can post a job on a job board and hope the right person will find your job, but think about it. How often do you hang out on a job board, Casey? So don't leave finding someone great to chance when you can post your job in a place where people go every day to make connections, grow in their career, and discover new job opportunities, and that's LinkedIn. So I find my people on LinkedIn now. Most LinkedIn members haven't visited the top job boards at all, but 9 out of 10 are open to new opportunities. And with 70% of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people, people who are qualified for your role and ready for something new. That's why a new hire is made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn. So if you're looking for people, great people, and you don't want to waste your time on interviews that make no sense, hurry to linkedin.com slash Taffer and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash Taffer to get $50 off your first job post. linkedin.com slash Taffer. Terms and conditions apply. So Tesla, my buddy Musk, is at it again. So now he's claiming that, that Tesla literally almost went broke when he was trying to build the Model 5. This is a story he's telling Pete the world when they're shareholders for his company. And sometimes I think that that he has no regard for investors. You see, in, in our world, when you take a company public, it's called a public trust. And the way you behave must be in the best interest of your shareholders, which means even in your personal life, the way you behave, if it has a negative consequence on the investment of people due to your neglect uh, or purposeful action or inaction, then, you know, there's a liability attached to that. So when you're CEO of a public company, KC, you really can't go around bad-mouthing your own company. Yeah. <laughs> you really can't go around telling people that, you know, son of a gun, the thing almost went broke four months ago. You know, if a, they, I mean, just those aren't smart things to do. And as a result, investors get pissed and they file lawsuits. And that's what's happened to Musk. So he does another interview where he talks about how when they're trying to build a Model 5 and he created this production number that they had to achieve. He was working 20 hours a day. It wasn't good for his head and the company almost went bankrupt. And, and, and it's an unbelievable story. And then the interview ends with him saying this. He's convinced that he's going to go to Mars and he's going to stay there. So if you're a shareholder of Tesla and you believe that Musk is really important to the future of the company, which many people do, how do you feel about him going to Mars for the rest of his life? <laughs> not on my dime, he's not. <laughs> so if, if you don't love Musk and you feel that it's good for him to go, how do you feel about him spending all these resources and all these dollars and putting all this time and effort into this? So, you know, he's just an interesting guy. And, and you know, I wonder how it all works out in the end. Because this is a guy who could put his foot in his mouth and it could come tumbling down if he's not careful. As as brilliant as he is with SpaceX and Tesla, the home battery systems and everything that he's done, you know, I just think he needs to get his mouth under control. Gee, <laughs> he has something in common with our president maybe, doesn't he? <laughs> All righty, so you know what a curler is, right? Yeah, I do. So, of course, curling. It's, it's probably the most exciting sport in the world, curling. <laughs> So so if you were going to be in a curling, would you be the guy with the broom or would you be the guy doing the curling? Which would you do, Casey? I, I think I'd be a really good broom guy. 
Yeah. I think you would too. You know, I could see myself <laughs> brooming with you, buddy. So, you know, I think that, it, that you got to have quick wrists, right? So to, I'm guessing if you're a good broomer for curling, you're probably a pretty good hockey player. In any event, this guy, Ryan, Ryan Fry, who won the gold medal in 2014, just got thrown out of the event for being drunk. <laughs> And, and I'm guessing a, a, a drunk and curling can be quite hazardous if, if that stone gets off the ice. <laughs> then again, can you imagine a drunk guy trying to walk on the ice? <laughs> He's slipping and falling. I got to go back and watch that video. Anybody who's interested, check out Ryan Fry online. I'm guessing that might be a pretty funny video. So Lexus aired the first ever TV commercial written by completely written by artificial intelligence. And this stuff is happening, and it's happening right now, and it's incredible how artificial intelligence is not only evaluating what we do online, how we behave, connecting all the dots to create predictability in human behavior when we're buying things, going places, doing things. Uh, 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 all of that is now fully engaged and going on. Now artificial intelligence is getting from being really more static, if you will, in that it interprets and analyzes. It's becoming proactive now. It's making decisions. It's doing things. So Lexus had Watson, who's the famous uh, um, IBM computer, uh, uh, who is an artificially intelligent computer, to write their first commercial, and it's airing right now. And uh, uh, it was <laughs> it's a good commercial. Pretty good. Casey, honestly, I think he did better than we could have done. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's so scary, John, because that means somebody's out of a job one day. And <laughs> well, you know, we all say that. And, and you know, in fast food, you know, when they raised the rates to $15 an hour in Seattle and certain cities for fast food restaurants, fast food restaurants now realize that $15 an hour, it makes sense for them to buy a machine to flip hamburgers rather than a person to flip hamburgers. So that's happening. And we're seeing it in all industries. But Casey, 30 years ago, when I was young, they said, computers are going to destroy every job in America. Nobody's going to have a job because of these things called computers. But that didn't happen. And, and you know, our society did adjust. And right now, with computers and with all this thing, we have one of the lowest unemployment rates we've ever had. So it's interesting how we always fear this. But somehow society does seem to adapt. And people do find new jobs and stuff. I'll tell you what scares me. What scares me is artificial intelligence taking over systems. And artificial intelligence learns at a rate, I don't know, 30,000 times faster than we do or whatever. So the concept is that artificial intelligence will evolve much faster than we will once it becomes its own independent force, if you will, of these groups of computers or computers. So when you read about it, it's a little scary that artificial intelligence could become more intelligent than us. Oh, yeah. And in that case, could it conspire against us? Could it be like the HAL computer? Uh, 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 from 2001, uh, uh, open the pod bay doors, open the pod bay doors. <laughs> but, you know, I wonder, and at some point in time, there's many people in the computer industry uh, uh, that say at some point in time, if we don't get a handle on this, it's going to get a handle on us. But uh, it started with commercials. Uh, I don't know where it's going to end, Casey. Scary. So, so how about this? You can get a hover bike now. Uh, Google it. Check it out. It's pretty cool. So it's a hover bike. weighs about 250 pounds. It looks like a drone. It's a it's a motorcycle with four propellers sticking out of the sides of it. And it functions very much like a drone. So I thought to myself, okay, this is freaking cool. I want one of these things, right? So I look it up, and it looks amazing, but it only goes 16 feet high. So it's a hovercraft, not really a flying bike. I guess that's the difference. It goes 60 miles per hour at 16 feet high. It's available now, and it's 150K. Now, for 150K, I want to go a couple hundred feet high. I want to go much more than 16 feet high, don't you think? <laughs> that sounds dangerous, John, a little bit. <laughs> and then you wonder when you're on a hovercraft and you're traveling along, at, let's say, 8 or 10 feet at 60 miles per hour, you don't exactly have brakes. So – I would think that I'd want to be taller than the buildings around me if I was in a <laughs> hovercraft like that, right? So you can go 16 feet, but all the buildings around you are 24 feet. That doesn't sound too safe, but in any event. The last thing I had to talk about today, because this is just killer, and, and I couldn't believe what I read uh, uh, in this article. And, and I got to try to pull this up for us. But in a, a Tinder, there's a... Uh, a sister and a brother get on Tinder together, <laughs> and they create their names, and they're uh, um, on Tinder, and they find each other. So now 
brother and sister. Now, they each don't know that they're on it. So they're on Tinder and they find each other and now they're talking to each other online. It's incredible. And they're freaking out that they found the other on Twitter, so, uh, on Tinder, right? Looking to get hooked up. So one writes, WTF, this is their Twitters back and forth, Casey. WTF, sissy. What the flip are you doing on here? You aren't 18. And he wrote, you swiped right on me. She wrote, you did it first, sicko. She wrote, this is so gross, I'm calling mom. I already called her. Have fun in juvie. <laughs> so that was the Twitter exchange. Could you imagine <laughs> you're, you're, you're on Tinder or some really perv site? Not that any of us would do that. But we're on some perv site and, and you run into your sister. <laughs> And so anyway, what an amazing story. I got to. So how does she tell my mom I was on Tinder and my brother was there? I mean, that, you're busted yourself. So I hope there's a follow up story. I really want to know if she actually told them or not. Uh, uh, but that's a, a, a pretty funny story. It's online. You got to read the Twitter exchange. It's hysterical. Anyway, so uh, uh, um, I get to see my daughter. And yesterday, she gave me a pretty powerful announcement, which which is pretty amazing. And I just want to tell everybody in a couple of weeks, but uh, uh, pretty exciting times in the Taffer family. And now I'm with my wife's family here uh, uh, in Tampa. And then I go to see Grant Cardone tomorrow, who a lot of uh, people know. Grant is a really famous and well-known internet trainer. And then I'm heading to Puerto Rico tomorrow night, buddy. And I'm back in Puerto Rico to to do my new TV show. And to, to continue to support the island post-hurricane, as you know, is an important thing to me. And coming down here, I thought I'd listen to some Alice Cooper music. And you might say, John, why Alice Cooper music of all people? Well, I've been sort of infatuated with Nita Strauss the past couple of weeks after seeing her in that film. So I started listening to, to some Alice Cooper music, which she was in his band. And uh, she is an incredible guitar player, an unbelievable story. And when I come back, I'll be with Nita Strauss. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date. How about the luxury package you got after a big promotion? Or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer? While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions like navigation or moonroof and watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew that was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer, not available in all areas. Man, another week of the NFL, exciting week of the NFL, NCAA football, and it's time to take your pigskin knowledge to the bank at BetDSI. BetDSI is celebrating 20 years online, and they've built an impeccable reputation for great service and fast payment of your winnings. And to help you get started with some extra bang for your buck, BetDSI is offering double your money on your first deposit. That's right. Deposit to start winning and get up to $2,500 free. That's double your money right from the get-go. And when it comes to football, BetDSI has every wager you could ever want or imagine. If it's happening, BetDSI will put a line on it. You can bet on the NFL, NCAA football, MLB, NBA, UFC, eSports, and other global sports, and even bet on politics, celebrities, and reality shows for that matter. You can also bet on games while while they are playing with BetDSI's live betting. So join BetDSI today using promo code TAFFER101, and you already won by doubling your bankroll straight away. So that's promo code TAFFER101 to get in the action and get paid. And once you become a member and have all this sweet bonus money, 
Now what do you want to do? You want to join the BetDSI 2018 Handicappers Cup. It's really cool. Players make five plays each week to be eligible for that week's play prize at $25. And over the entire season, if you have the most winning picks, you have a shot at a grand prize of $1,000. You can go to BetDSI.com to see my weekly picks and for more details on the contest. For terms and conditions, go to BetDSI.com. Hope you join me each week. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. Okay, so a few months ago, I watched a movie called Hired Gun. And I have huge respect for studio and session players. Hal Blaine is a, is a, is a, a one who comes to mind who I really love. was a great studio player. And I started to learn about Nita Strauss. And Nita, I had to get you on my show because I'm fascinated by your career and your life and the success that you've achieved. And right now you're on your bus. Are you on the Guitar Collective tour? We are on the Guitar Collective bus. We are driving to Chicago in the middle of a snowstorm. And like I said, uh, when we were offline, uh, normally we would have rescheduled, but we don't accept any excuses in our life. I know you don't accept any excuses, so here we are on No Excuses Podcast. Uh, it's great to have you, Nita. So, Nita, you. You, were, you were rated the number one female guitarist that you should know by Guitar World magazine. Uh, that's a hell of an accomplishment when you're recognized by your peers in that way. How did that make you feel? Oh, what an honor. You know, what what an incredible honor that was. You know, there's... Uh, especially as a female guitar player, as a woman in, in a traditionally male-dominated world, it's nice to get recognized, you know, and it's, and it's nice that they started doing these lists. Either they did the first 10, and then they did another one, I did another one. I think there's like now seven or eight, ten female guitarists you should know, but it was nice to be the first one of the first list. Yeah, well, I'm a huge fan of your work. I want to learn, you know, when I go to your Wikipedia page and I try to learn about you, there's not a lot about you growing up and such, but yet you grew up in a musical family, didn't you? Yes, I grew up uh, with basically just classical music around. Uh, my dad is a musician. My mom is a dance teacher. So my sister and I were uh, in sports and listening to music all of our lives. And uh, I think being in competitive sports as a kid, it's a great way to learn discipline and learn, you know, no one can practice for you. No one can do your push up for you. You know, you have to if you want to achieve success, you have to practice, you have to work hard, you have to have dedication. And having that in the household was was really a huge part of my formative years. Tell me about your first guitar. When did you get it? And, and, and you know, why did you get it? And did you know you were going to get it? So my first guitar was a $99 Squire Strat. Uh, it's just a little black and white uh, Squire, and it came with a little amp and a little sure. full of guitar picks. You know, like a little pack, a Strat pack, they call it. Yeah, the amp was a gets. Squire too, wasn't it? Yes, yes, the exact, yep. that same one. And the first thing I did was I took the white pick guard off and I put a black one on. So from the very beginning, I was always customizing my guitars. Huh. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. So, so uh, uh, did you know how to play when you got that? Was it something oh, was you wanted terrible. to do? I was awful. I was terrible. But it's so funny now, and I'm sure you see this a lot with all your different guests. People always say, oh, well, you know, I'm jealous of your talent. And I wish that those people could have heard me play on that little squire because I was atrocious. Yeah. <laughs> it was so bad. But I, know, but I wanted to play so badly. I had that desire and that drive to get better. And I learned that from, you know, from playing sports. So, you know, like practicing and, and working hard was something that came easily to me. What sports did you play? Uh, I did gymnastics. I was in. I was a competitive gymnast uh, in, in rhythmic gymnastics, basically from the time that I could walk until I started playing guitar. That's interesting because that's a very individual sport, right? Yes. It's really up to you and your own scores, and of course your coaches and you're part of a team. But really, it's up to you. It's an individual, not a team sport. But playing guitar is very lonely too. I mean, you're sitting by yourself for hours and hours and hours growing up, and you know that could be lonely too because you didn't play with a band when you didn't know how to play. Oh, so. a thousand percent, yeah. And, and it is. You're absolutely right. It's a, it's an individual journey. And I remember, you know, when I would, you know, because I was, you know, seven, eight, and nine, and, and, you know, going to competitions. And if I didn't win a medal, it was only because of me. It was my performance. How right. I performed directly affected how I placed. And I learned that, you know. So when I started playing guitar, it was a sort of a lonely journey. And I was a weird kid in school. You know, I, I, I didn't have the easiest time making friends in school. And for a long time, you know, at recess, at lunch, I would bring my guitar to school and I would sit by myself on the bleachers and I would play and practice. 
and now looking back on it, it's like, wow, what a, what a strange kid. <laughs> but, uh, but that's what taught me, you know, how to play better and how to, how to work hard. You know, I took drum lessons for nine years when I was a kid. And, oh, did you? I did. And, and, you know, I know what that alone time is like, but don't you feel that other guitarists would tell you a similar story, that they spend a lot of time alone and a very alone uh, journey to learn their instrument? Everybody. Everybody has that story. Everybody has that journey. And really, you know, as a, as a musician, and now that I know that you play the drums a little bit, you can relate to this, you don't really want people around when you're practicing. No. You, know, you, need, <laughs> you need time to, to make mistakes and learn and and so oh, that sounded terrible and, and get better and get better. You know, like even to this day, like I don't even like to practice with my boyfriend in the house. You know, like I, it's a very solitary thing practicing. Right. Right. Of course, because you're stretching yourself. So sometimes you don't sound good when you're pushing yourself to do things you never did before. But that's what practice oh, yeah. is all about. Exactly. When I uh, I just released my debut solo album, Controlled Chaos, uh, just a couple weeks ago on Sumerian Records. And when I recorded Controlled Chaos... I stretched my ability to the limit. Like I played guitar licks that I can literally like at that time I could only play in a seated position really carefully, like at the top of my ability. But in the back of my head, I knew I'm going to have to perform this stuff on tour eventually, which is what we're doing now. And, uh, and that really, again, just pushed me a little harder. Yeah. But that's what makes you better is because you have that quest to be better at it. You know, it's interesting being a guitar player is not very different than being an entrepreneur. You got to learn your shit. You really got to know it. You got to know it as good as anybody in a room, right? You can't be the worst player in a band. That's for darn sure. You don't want to be yeah. the weak link. And then, not only that, you have to market yourself. You have to meet the right people. You have to network. You have to be invited to play with the right people, be in the right bands at the right time. It, it's it is a complete entrepreneurial business. Don't you agree? It is a thousand percent. And you know, the funny thing is, it's. I am as much an entrepreneur, I think, as someone that starts a tech company or starts a, a brand. You know, my my business credit card says Nita Strauss Incorporated on it. You know, and, and it's funny, my, my boyfriend and manager, Josh, and I, we're, we've been a team of two for a very long time. We do all our own marketing, branding, social media. You know, we learned about Facebook ads. We learned about website design. You know, we, we did all the things that a small business owner would do. And, and that's how you're building your brand. When did you know that you could actually do this for a living? I, so funny, I never even, it never even occurred to me that I wouldn't do it for a living. I've, I've been visualizing and strategizing and, and, you know, manifesting things, you know, all the way back to these gymnastics days. I can remember being a kid and this is before reading The Secret or The Obstacle is the Way or any of these kind of books. But I remember, you know, when I was a kid and I was doing gymnastics, I would lay in bed and I would close my eyes at night and I would visualize my routine before a competition. And I would visualize every aspect, every move, the way that I would salute the judges. And then I would visualize going up and getting the medal, standing on the top podium, getting the gold medal, all these things. And when I started playing guitar, I was doing the same thing. I visualized the performance, visualized the notes, visualized the crowd, you know, responding and giving me energy and the energy I would give back. And it never even occurred to me to say, maybe I can't do it. I just said, I'm going to do it. Watch me. You know, it's interesting is your parents were in the music business and your mom was dance, but your dad was in the music business. Yeah. And you go back to, to Johann Strauss in ancestry, That's right. which That's right. is un- so it's in your blood. Literally, we could say music is in your blood, <laughs> which is fascinating. But what's interesting is your your ancestors made money playing music. That was right. their living. So people around you had made a living making music. So I'm guessing it wasn't bizarre for you or some unbelievable dream to think that you could make money playing music as well. Right. It was really oh, your lineage. Achievable. It, it was very achievable. And you should see Thanksgivings at our house. Everybody plays the piano or the guitar or something singing. It's it's a blast. It's a, a very, very musical family. Wow. So when you were young, let's say 15, 16, and you're starting to get pretty good on a guitar, at what age did you start to get pretty good? Oh, I'm, you know, it's so subjective. I think I still have a long way to go. I'm out here on tour with two insanely incredible guitar players, Angel Vivaldi and Jackie Vincent. So I'm still trying to get as good as them. But um, I was good enough to start touring at 15. I did my first national tour at 15, which was Vans Warped Tour. And that was, again, just a, a total learning experience of just jumping in feet first, you know, um, my band was a bunch of girls still in high school. And we, we said, we got the summer off from high school. Let's go on the road. So we did this series of battle of the bands 
And my, you know, every band that I'm in, they, everybody knows we have no shame. We'll play any battle of the bands. We'll play a VFW hall. We'll play a coffee shop. You know, you just have to get out there and get that exposure and get your name out there. So we would play battle of the bands of schools we didn't even go to. <laughs> we would just show up and hear about a battle of the bands and go and play. And uh, and then we win. And then people go, wait, who, who from that band goes to our school? And we'd already be gone. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> We won this series of, of Battle of the Bands, the Battle for Warp Tour, and we got to go on our first uh, major tour, which was a full two-month U.S. run. And when I tell you that we got thrown into the fire, I'm talking about no catering. You know, we, we went out in a truck, not a van, you know, comfortable, cushy van with benches, but we were in a, a truck that fit two people in the front. And then we had the other two band members, myself and the bass player, who were still too young to drive in the back under uh the camper bed of, of the truck and if any of your listeners have ever ridden in the camper bed of a truck you guys know it's not comfortable no, <laughs> it's not a no. comfortable it ride it's the worst there's no you know there's no heat there's no ac it's not meant for humans to ride back there so it's not a smooth ride and you know we were hungry and thirsty and tired and cold and we went out there and we stopped it out every day that we could and that was, you know, the best way to get better at something is just to start doing it and doing it and yeah. doing it. And now as I sit here from the back of a comfortable tour bus with the heater and the, you know, heater blasting and, yep. you know, a comfortable couch to sit on, I can honestly tell you that if I didn't do that first, I'm sure I wouldn't be here today. Yeah, that's what made you. So when you were 12, 13 years old and you closed your eyes, did you picture yourself as a rock star, as a musician? What, what was the dream? As soon as I started playing guitar, I knew all I wanted to do was play guitar. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't one of those people that's like, I needed to make my own songs. I need to move people with my own music. I'm just a guitar player's guitar player. I love to play guitar. I don't yeah. care who I play guitar for. I don't care if it's Alice Cooper. I don't care if it's my own music, which is what I'm doing now. I don't care if it's pop, rock, death metal. I just want to play guitar. I love playing guitar. My bass player, I know you just had Michael Graves on your show. My bass yes. player out. Yeah. He's actually Michael Graves' bass player. Wow. <laughs> Michael's a great guy. So great. Yeah. And uh, so it's, you know, if you don't take the, that first step and if you're not willing to get in there and get your hands dirty, you can't expect the glory at the end of the road. Yeah. You're feeling that glory now, though, which is really a, a, a remarkable. By the way, please say hi to, to Jackie and Vivaldi for me, because I'm big fans of both of their work as well. So, I so, absolutely will. So send our best to them. So the Guitar Collective Tour is a really interesting tour. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is actually Angel's brainchild. So Angel Vivaldi is like the modern day shred hero. He has no record label. He has no, you know, like... He does everything himself. He, you know, from marketing to business. To, I mean, this is the entrepreneur's entrepreneur of guitar players. You know, he manages other artists. He runs businesses. He does YouTube. He does social media. He does all the whole nine. And, you know, there are these big guitar tours, you know, Generation X and G3 with all the legacy artists. But there's not a tour that showcases up and coming guitar players like us. So Angel said, you know what? They're not going to ask us on these big tours anytime soon. So let's make our own tour. And that's what he did with the Guitar Collective. This is the third time they've done it. Uh, this this is the uh, I'm the first female to do the tour, which is, is really, really cool. But the very first show ever had some incredible female players, Neely Brosh and Yvette Young. Wow. And, uh, and now we're out here, you know, doing a month. We're doing 29 shows in 31 days all across the U.S. and having a blast doing it. Wow. And you're playing with guitar players that you love to play with. I'm guessing. So do you all play at the same time? We do at the end of the night. Yeah, we do a jam together at the end of the night. And, you know, we were talking earlier about not being the weakest link on the stage. Yeah. Let me tell you, as as somebody that looks up to these two guys, they inspire me and elevate my playing to a level I didn't even know that I could achieve. Uh, you know, my boyfriend, Josh, is also playing drums for me on this tour. And he told me last night, you know, he's like, I was I was putting an Instagram story up, you know, for, you know, on Instagram. And I looked up at the stage and I thought, who is that playing? Is that what that's got to be Jackie? And I looked and it was you. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's, like, I, he's like, I've never even heard you play that fast. And, you know, being around people, whatever, whatever scene you're in, whether you're a banker, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a musician or an entrepreneur, being around people that function at that high of a level, they either do one of two things. They either go, oh, I can't do this and you can't keep up. 
or they elevate you up to that level. And these guys are definitely elevating me up to a higher level for sure. But that's what separates the, the those who should be there and those who shouldn't, honestly. Absolutely. And, and you know what else is you can never be too proud in life. And again, this goes for music or anything else. You can never be too proud to say, hey, uh, I saw that you were playing this lick. Can you show me how you did that? You know, I saw that you put out this extremely successful marketing campaign. Uh, can you show me how you did that? You know, we did a, a Kickstarter for my solo record and we were 800% funded. And that's something that people will ask me, hey, you know, what were some things that you did to get people engaged? And, you know, it's never too, it's never too late to share knowledge and learn. That's a great story, by the way. Tell us a story of, of how you funded the record because I love it. Oh, yeah. So uh, initially we had planned to do a traditional label deal we had you know we had approached some record labels and and all the labels said yeah yeah we love nita but what else is she doing you know like we'll we'll take the solo record but what else is she doing because she have a band you know does yep. she sing does she do other stuff and and josh and i said no this is a solo record we're interested this is the product we're bringing to you and nobody was really all that excited about it you know so we said all right you guys aren't excited about it we'll we'll get people excited about it so josh had the idea to do the Kickstarter. He said, let's make this album by the fans for the fans. You know, we'll, we'll do this with the support of your community because the community that we've built, you know, on social media and, and at shows is so strong and support. So we set a super modest goal of $20,000, which on the grand scheme of record budgets is, is next to nothing. And that was just to cover the recording, the studio rental, the mixing and mastering, the engineering and stuff. And the production of the physical product, the CDs and T-shirts and so forth, and then a very small PR campaign, you know, wow. just enough, just enough to get us, you know, a little radio play, a little magazine coverage, just, you know, so people could find out about the record. So well, what's great is you kept complete creative control of, it, of the project. It is exactly what you wanted to do, right? Exactly. No one could tell me, does she sing? Can we, you know, how yep. is she going to dress on the album cover? How are we going to do this? You know, everyone, everyone wanted to have a say in it. And this is my first solo record ever. I've never put out a record of my own music before. Wow. So I had to have complete control. I'd had to realize my vision myself, which is also why I produced and engineered the album myself as well. I didn't want anybody pressing buttons for me. I didn't want anyone telling me play it more like this. Like this yeah. is my vision, clear and simple. You know, so it's funny being, being in television. I was always scared that you know that production would make me something that I'm not. You know, and, sure. and I always felt that if I'm going to succeed or fail, I'm going to do it my way because I don't want to fail and then blame it on somebody else or put out something that creatively I'm uncomfortable with. And you know, I had a fight to get control exactly. of my show over the years, and and it wasn't an easy. So I have unbelievable appreciation for what you're saying. How exciting that every sound on on that record is exactly what you wanted it to be. I can't wait to hear it. So I'm going to get it in a matter I'm of so minutes as, as soon as we hang up. So, so, so uh, do you have a cut on it that was your favorite, something that was special or something that means something to you that you might want to talk about? Uh, well, you know, picking a favorite song is like picking your favorite child. You know, really, you know, the album is a cross section of who I am as, as a player and really as a person. You know, no one can be dark and aggressive all the time. You know, there's also a, a happy side. I like to have fun. I'm a fun person. Yeah. You know, there's also a calm and peaceful side and a hopeful side. And uh, I think that when I listen to the album as a whole, if there's one thing that really came across clearly, it's that, it's, you know, a full spectrum of, of what goes on in my head. So I think listening to it as a whole would, would be my favorite thing. You know, what's amazing about your guitar playing, and you can hear it, is your exposure to so many types of music when you were young. Because you're not pigeonholed into just listening to rock artists or just listening to, you know, a particular type of artist. You've listened to so many types of music. I can hear it. I got to ask you your opinion of an artist if I can. And I would only ask you somebody dead. So, Anita, when we talk about people like Reinhardt, and I don't want to ask you about anyone alive because uh, uh, obviously Angel and Jackie are people that you admire, and I know there's others. One uh, guitarists are past or musicians are past that you really connect with. Maybe you listen to them when you're down. Maybe they inspire you. Are there names that come to the mind that have been really powerful in your life? Yeah, definitely. And, and the first one that jumped out at me is actually, it's somebody that, that hasn't passed, but that no longer plays, um, that, uh, that inspires me more than anybody. And that's Jason Becker. And mm. if anyone's not familiar with the name Jason Becker, there's an amazing documentary. Uh, you can get it on iTunes or Amazon or anywhere. It's called Jason Becker's Not Dead Yet. And Jason Becker was this 
incredible teenage prodigy guitarist who uh, who made, released some incredible instrumental shred albums uh, with Marty Freeman and Cacophony and did uh, an instrumental album that still stands up to everything anybody's doing today. And then he got tapped to replace Steve Vai and David Lee Roth's band. So he was the best of the best at 18 wow. years old, the absolute best that there has ever been. And then he got ALS. He got Lou Gehrig's disease. And he was given just a couple years to live. And, you know, it was, you know, absolute tragedy because he had the gig. He was David Lee Roth's guitarist, the guy that played with Eddie Van Halen. Wow. He had it. He was about to go on tour. And then this disease struck him. And he was only given a couple years to live. And by the grace of God, by his incredibly supportive family, and the people around him, he is still alive today, and not just alive, he's still making music. He's completely, wow. he is completely paralyzed except for his eyes, the movement of, of his eyes, and his father devised a system for him to, uh, to look in different directions, which signify different letters of the alphabet, and that's how he communicates. And wow. he's literally still making music. He has a new album out called, called uh, Triumphant Hearts, which is coming out soon. And to still be to overcome adversity that strongly and to be creating music 20 years after you're supposed to be gone, that inspires me every single day. And I had the chance to, to go and meet Jason. Uh, Josh actually surprised me and, and brought me up to meet Jason and talk to him. And man, if that doesn't put it in perspective, there's ever a time that I don't feel like practicing or I don't feel like, you know, like what I do is work and, and I don't feel like doing it. I just think about somebody like Jason and that snaps me right back into reality. Wow. He not all music, not only, uh, uh, inspired you, but maybe it's what saved him. Right? I think it absolutely is. I, absolutely. And, and it's sort of legendary that Jason still has guitar player peers over to his house. He says, Hey, play my guitars, you know, like make music, wow. have fun with it. And, you know, I think a lot of other people in his position might have too much bitterness for that. You know, they might say, like, I don't want anybody playing my guitars if I can't play them. And, and Jason is so personable and friendly and funny. He says, yeah, come over, jam out, play my stuff, whatever. And yeah, graciousness doesn't always work in the musical world. There are not a lot of people who like to share that spotlight. I, I, I know I've been there. And, yeah. it's, uh, and you know, you are, of course, because, uh, uh, you know, you are that based upon who you are. But, uh, uh, you know, your story is amazing to me. First of all, there were no female rock stars and rock guitar players when you started when you were 12 years old were there really uh there were very few you know there was lita ford and there's Hart. you know uh you know everyone everyone brings up the runaways and these you know people like that right. but no one was really fusing technique and performance you know there are these women serious are, guitar players. Uh, yeah amazing songwriters amazing performers but no one was doing the technique and it wasn't until I saw the Super Bowl when Jennifer Batten was playing guitar for Michael Jackson that I was yeah. like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, yeah. I, it blew my mind. You know, this badass blonde with this amazing blonde mohawk up there, like shredding like crazy stuff that, you know, that most dudes couldn't do. And I was like, that's what I want to do. That's cool. You wanted to have chops is what you wanted to do. You always wanted to have chops. Had to. Had and you to. did. So, you know, to my listeners, I want them to understand something that, you know, Nita was was a guitar player in pretty much a man's world. But that didn't stop you. Never. You were in an environment where you started very young. You went on tour when you were, what, 15 years old was your first 15, professional gig? 15 years old and I'm now 31. So I've been touring more of my life than not. But you, you had the courage at 15 to do this. You had the discipline to learn it when you were 13, 14, when other kids were out playing. You were sitting alone with your guitar, mastering a craft. And there's an inspiration story here, Nita, and that's why I really wanted to have you on. You're a great example to so many young people. You are. Your discipline, your desire, the way you've handled yourself in a rock and roll world where things can get out of control, but not with you. And... and, and <laughs> You know, you're a wonderful example to everyone, and, and I really uh, uh, love your music. I can't wait to get your record. And I just want to tell everybody to go to the angelvivaldiofficial.com slash tour, and you can see Nita, because you guys are heading now. I guess you're heading to Berwyn? Yes, yes, we're almost there. And then you're going to Iowa City, Kansas City, Denver, Salt Lake City, Boise, Seattle, Portland, Orangevale. You're going to be a busy girl. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, we're not. We are not stopping anytime soon. And I, I just wanted to add one more thing onto what you're saying. How important it is not only to not ever give up and to have that kind of discipline, but also to have the right people around you. You know, to yeah. build the right team. And you know, because nobody can be a team of one forever. And you know, I've I've mentioned Josh, my boyfriend, a couple times in this conversation. But he is my boyfriend. He's my manager. He's my drummer. And having somebody like that who's like a super visionary. He is an amazing entrepreneur. He has a clothing brand. You know, he he works with meal prep companies. Uh, the, the clothing brand he has is called Beverly Kills, and it's all about how people tend to lose themselves in pursuit of fame and fortune, and and how to remain humble and lose your ego and and having somebody like that, like Josh, that really, you know, will elevate you and make you work at your highest level is so important, too. So finding that person, you know, whether it's a business partner, whether it's a life partner, whatever it is, that will help you because nobody can be a team of one forever. No. So the fact of the matter is you and Josh are a we and your career is an your career is an hours between the two of you. Absolutely. So, so, you know, it's funny when I, when the call, I always talk about our TV show, you know, and our work and our that I'm guessing you and Josh use the same kind of terminology. Always right? literally yep. like to the to the point that I'm actually on the cover of, of, you know, when I'm on the cover of magazines, like I'm on the cover of Guitar World this month. He says he says we have the cover. We are doing this. You know, yeah. it's a team. It's a team effort. You know, Nita Strauss Incorporated is, is two people. <laughs> but isn't it amazing that he he and how wonderful it is that he can derive the pleasure from your picture on a magazine, not his. And, you know, that's what a partnership in love is all about. Uh, uh, mine is the same way. So, so you started out uh, uh, with Josh with a great advantage from the get-go. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. He's he's been managing me for the past four years, and in that four years, all my dreams—I'm not exaggerating, John—everything that I've ever like dreamed of accomplishing as a guitar player has all come true. I have my signature guitar. I played at WrestleMania this year. You know, wow, I'm doing I my saw. own tour. I have my solo music. It's it's crazy. It is crazy, but you deserve it. You've paid your dues. Now it's time for the payoff, Nita. Thank now you. you're. Now it's time for you to continue to make your own record your own way. Now it's time for you to be exposed to new people, new audiences, new environments. So speaking of that, where can people find you on social media? So I'm Hurricane Nita on Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat, and I'm Nita Strauss on Facebook. And everything that we try to keep my website, www.nitastrauss.com, updated as much as we can. But social media is always the fastest. It is. And you're great on social media, by the way. I've been watching you. So, Nita, this has been a... This has been a lot of fun. I have so much respect for you and what you've accomplished, uh, not only as a musician, but as an individual. I really do. And I think that you're a great example for so many young people. And it's been wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much. We're huge fans of yours and, and everything that you teach and preach and of the show as well. Although I will say that your name gets brought up pretty often in some of these bars that we play on this tour. Uh, uh, well, tell them that, that you'll call me if there's any issues, right? So I, I will too. Sure if your food isn't right, if the place is dirty, give me a call. That'd be funny. You we'll got to give me a call. Floors. Yeah, well, give me a call and I'll get on the phone with the owner. That'll be a lot of fun. I, I will take you up on that. Thank you. It's a deal. Send my best to Josh and, and the guys on the bus and have a great tour. Thanks a lot. I love talking to Nita. She was everything I thought she'd be. You know, she's a great example, not only as a musician, but she's a great example of somebody who went into a world that wasn't quite their own. And all of us don't always fit where we're going. That doesn't mean we shouldn't go there. It means we should go there anyway. That's how we grow. That's how we get better. And need is the epitome of that. I'm looking forward to hearing her record. We'll be back in a minute with a couple of callers. Support for No Excuses with John Taffer comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive buying power process. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you've found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep the new lower rate. Either way, you win. 
It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Taffer. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. All right, time for my favorite part of the show. If you'd like to talk to me, just send an email to podcast at johntaffer.com and you could be on the show too and I'd love to talk to you. So do so right now. Podcast at johntaffer.com. KC, who do we got, buddy? <laughs> Mike, are you there? Yes, sir. How awesome. are you, Mike? Hey, John. Good to talk with you. I love the podcast. Here. I was actually just at Champagne's, which is a bar in Vegas, I believe you rescued. The, the famous wallpaper bar. <laughs> yes, sir. Where if I took down a wallpaper, I think they were going to assassinate me when we remodeled that bar. But yeah, I was just wondering with the passing of Stan Lee, you know, I grew up watching superheroes and Marvels and now all the huge cinemas are coming out. And I wanted to know if you had any, you know, cocktails, maybe the Hulk green monster or something like that that you'd recommend maybe to celebrate his life. It's funny. We have actually. And we created a a vodka Midori cocktail years ago and called it the Hulk. And the reason why we called it the Hulk is because it was in a huge glass and it was green. So it was a cocktail that you'd share with somebody with two straws in it. So that was the Hulk, and of course it was green. But one of my favorites was we had a Superman cocktail years ago. And what we did is we made it with a blue curacao, and then we floated a a, a red grenadine, I think it was on top, or some liqueur that went on top. So it was red on top and blue on the bottom, and it drifted down, and obviously it was Superman colors. And then the Supergirl version of it was we just dropped the cherry on top. (laughs) That was the difference between the two cocktails. Uh, We also played with a Spider-Man cocktail once, which is where we took a a, a red cocktail, and it was uh, something like a Mai Tai that we uh, uh, flavored red. And we took cotton candy, and we would put cotton candy across the top of the glass and made it look like a spider web. And we used to do that on Halloween years ago. But we had a lot of fun with those things. We also uh, have done cocktails where we took test tubes and we'll put them in a tall glass with ice, and there'll be transfusion cocktails. Uh, uh, we've done kryptonite cocktails where we'll put a green glow stick in a cocktail, and that's the kryptonite. And when you drink that, you get unbelievable powers over the opposite sex. <laughs> so, so if you had one and you had a kryptonite cocktail, you know, in theory, you would never go home alone that night. That was a concept of that one, Michael. So we would have a lot of fun with these things over the years. And, and uh, good bars do this, Michael. You know, Stan was, was a legend. The characters that he created are, 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 you know, so interwoven into our society and our culture. All bars should embrace these things and have fun with these things. And uh, those are just a few examples. But over the years, we've probably done even more. Right. Well, I definitely think it helps bars stay relevant if they can tap into that culture. But where do you get some of this creative inspiration to create these cocktails, other cocktails, the conceptual design that you implemented all of your rescues? Because it seems like you have a never-ending plethora of ideas. I do. I'm an idea guy. I always have. Um, and I've been on a lot of boards of a lot of companies. Uh, years ago, uh, 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 I was called the Wizard of Tactics. Uh, uh, by many, many companies. I'm just really good at that. I have a very creative part of me uh, uh, that comes up with you know interesting ideas. And I'm, I'm lucky because after 189 episodes of Bar Rescue, though, you know, if I ran out of ideas, I wouldn't be on TV anymore. So it's a challenge to come up with new stuff week after week after week. Uh, so Bar Rescue sort of keeps those creative muscles working. And but I wish I told you an answer. Who you know, I don't know where, where it so quite comes from, Mark. It just does. Oh, that's awesome. I was just kind of wondering, how do you get owners who maybe aren't as idea-driven to buy into some of these crazy ideas, like putting a glow stick in a cocktail and convincing them that it's going to be appealing to people? You know, you'll see me do this in Bar Rescue a lot. Often I'll do it during stress test, and I'll make the customers tell them how great it is. Because I have to teach them that their opinion doesn't matter. They could hate the color green. They could hate Superman. They could hate kryptonite. They could hate the whole freaking thing. But if their customers buy them, his hatred means nothing. And what I have to teach bar owners is to stop personalizing everything. This isn't personal. This is about building an environment that your customers like. And if your customer's demographic and age group 
enjoys these kinds of things and we should do them. And the great thing about the kind of cocktails we're talking about is, you know, they're fun, they're new. So if you come in and always order a Budweiser and that's your thing, you know, I got a chance at selling you a Superman cocktail or a Superman shot or, or something that's fun, a kryptonite shot. And we die a story around it, you know, that you'll have these powers with the opposite sex. And my point is, these are the things that make bars fun. And, and owners that don't do them uh, 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 will always put their own preference and their own ego first. And that's pretty stupid, buddy. If they say it, it's an opinion. If the customer says it, it's a fact. And that's the way you got to look at Right. It's kind of mixing that creative with reality of what the customer wants. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thanks for watching Bar Rescue, buddy. I appreciate it. And, and, Thank uh, you, John. Uh, Have a good week. All right, uh, John, let's go over to Joe in Tampa. Uh, you remember you asked for travel nightmare stories from hell? Well, Joe's got a crazy one. Joe, you there? Oh, boy, I I'm love here. travel stories from hell, Joe. How you doing? Good. I'm actually in Philadelphia. I got my cell phone when I lived in Tampa. but um, So just to cut right to the, the story, I guess. Um, sure. This was about a year and a half ago. Um, I was doing, uh, I was on a temporary assignment that had me traveling from Philadelphia to Seattle every week. And I was flying out Monday nights. And, uh, the Sunday before one of my flights, we were having a baby shower for, um, my wife who was having a, uh, at the time was pregnant with our second child. Good time. Go home. Everything's fine. Getting packed on Monday, getting ready to head out the airport. My wife's not feeling well. Something's up with her stomach. I'm like, oh, I'm going to stay away from you. Um, get to the airport and feeling fine, get on the flight, push off, take off, come around with the beverages. I get a soda or something like that. And about after that first sip of the soda, I'm like, oh, I don't feel right. Um, <laughs> without getting too graphic for you, John, that six hour flight from Philly to Seattle, I spent the entire time in the bathroom, uh, getting sick every which way imaginable. Um, and then once we landed, I got up enough energy to get back to my seat for the landing. And then it took me two and a half hours to get from the gate to my Uber driver because I had to stop at the bathroom every single step of the way, again, getting sick one way or the other. And then I was bedridden in a hotel for, in a hotel room for about 18 hours until it finally passed. So that was uh, the worst travel experience I ever had. What do you think you ate that did it? I don't know, but it wasn't just me. It was like everybody at this um, at the baby shower ended up getting sick except like six people. So I, I have no wow. idea. But whenever anyone talks about travel stories from hell, I, I think mine takes the cake. Um, and oh. I'm the son of a pilot. So my dad's a commercial pilot. And, um, and certainly he's got some terrible stories about layovers and bad weather and disgruntled customers and stuff like that. But even he gave it to me. He's like, no, that's the worst situation that I've ever heard about on a plane. So imagine what a pilot does in that situation where he can't leave for 25 <laughs> minutes and sit in the bathroom. What does he do? Does he put a diaper on? I mean, that's actually a, a really something I've never thought about. What does a pilot do when he's got a you know a six-hour flight and he's sick? Right? So Tap that's out. an interesting scenario. That's a terrible story, man. I'm guessing you, you had a very close relationship with that bathroom by the time that flight ended. But uh, 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 thanks for sharing it, Joe. Uh, I want people to keep calling with travel hell stories. But there's something to be said. You know, sometimes when people bring food to parties like uh, a baby showers and things like that, you know, we make the food in our refrigerator. We take we 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 take the food. We cook it. We put it in the refrigerator. It doesn't get to cold temperature. Then we take it at a dangerous temperature. We put it in a car. We drive it a half hour to somebody's house. We then put it on a table in their house and cheese casserole, whatever the hell it is. It sits on that table for 45 minutes. Now this item has been sitting unrefrigerated at a dangerous temperature for about three hours. Now it's sitting on that table. Guests start to come. Now it's on that table three and a half, four hours, and then somebody like yourself eats it. And, you know, I sometimes uh, I'm very cautious to go to things like potluck lunches where people bring, you know, big casseroles from home and things because they're not refrigerated. And that could be what happened to you, Joe, is somebody, you know, very unknowingly made something, held it at a dangerous temperature for too long, and whammo, you got really sick. And when you get sick that quickly, that was really foul food. Uh, typically, people don't get sick for about 20, 21 hours or so. Anyway, good story, buddy. Thanks for calling. 
I have a dear friend, and, and I just want to end on this note for this week because I think it's an important one. I have a dear friend last week who was at a convention in Thousand Oaks, California. And while he's in a hotel in Thousand Oaks, California, three in the morning, they, they evacuated the hotel because of the fires, and he went home. His wife and his daughter were staying at his in-law's house since he was away. He goes to sleep, and he sets his alarm for eight in the morning in his house in Malibu to, to go back to the convention, assuming the convention is still going on. He wakes up at eight in the morning. He goes down to his kitchen to make himself a cup of coffee, looks out his back window of his house, and there are 35-foot walls of fire in his backyard up to the top of the trees. He freaks out, gets his two cats into cages as they scratch the heck out of his arms, doesn't have time to grab anything else, runs out of his house, gets into his pickup truck with his two cats in the cages, pulls out of his driveway, makes a right-hand turn, and the entire street is an inferno. He backs into the driveway, makes a left-hand turn out of the driveway, and about a half a block down, he bumps into a red suburban fire department vehicle. He says to the guy, how do I get down the mountain? He says, you can't take any of the roads, but there is a dirt road for the electrical pole servicing that you can take down the mountain. So this guy in his truck with his two cats starts heading down this dirt road that winds during the mountain. And you've seen those roads, Casey. They're the ones that they use for servicing the utility poles. Yeah. And they're not very friendly for travel, right? They're for four-wheel drive. So he heads down this road. And if you get stuck in this road, you can't back out. So if there's a fire down there, he's dead. He takes it. Luckily, he makes it to the bottom of the mountain and makes it out. Now, what happens to this family? Think about all these families for a moment. They don't have their home, so now they have to either get an apartment really quick. Well, everybody's jacked the apartment prices and they're all leased out, so there's not a lot of apartments available, KC. So if they get an apartment, the insurance company will pay for a short period of time, typically 30 days, 60 days. They won't pay for years. Now, this family is going to take three to five years to rebuild these communities. What are they going to do? So they want to keep their kids in school, so they're trying to stay in the same community, but there's no apartments. And they don't have the money to pay their mortgage and pay the rent of an apartment. So what do they do? They got no choice but to go live with their parents. So now they go live with their parents in another city, say Houston, Dallas, uh, uh, Denver, wherever it is. Now the kid is pulled from school. The family has to move to another city, say Denver. And now while they're living in another city, they got to get this house rebuilt in California over the next four years so that they can sell it because they still got to pay their mortgage and they're still on the hook for the debt. Now, this is an unbelievable story that's happened to thousands of people in California right now. And in as much as the fires are not on our TV screens right now, and we're not talking about them to the degree that we were a few days ago, these people are suffering. This is a serious crisis. And for these families, it's going to take years for them to recover in a state, by the way, that is not so financially forgiving with regard to taxes and cost of living, et cetera. So go online, see where you can help, see if we make a difference. Right now, as I speak to you, there are Americans suffering. And this time of year, we should all step up and help them. So I'm not going to tell you where to send your money, but I'm going to ask you to think about sending something somewhere to find the right organization because these families are hurting. And this time of year is the time that we don't want other Americans to be hurting. So let's all step up. Let's try to make a difference. I'm heading to Puerto Rico myself in a couple of days, see if I can make a difference down there and to continue that momentum going. And next week... We have another podcast, and I'll talk to you all from Puerto Rico next week, actually. I'll be in old San Juan, and I'm going to try to get some guests. matter of fact, I'm going to see if I can get Victor and Janet on the show. What do you think about that, Casey? I can't wait to hear them. I love that couple. They're really good people. Yeah, great. From from El Caramba, the bar in Puerto Rico. I'm going to see if I can get them on and have them in person. It'll be a lot of fun. But I'll see you all next week. Have a great week. And no excuses. No excuses. Remember, those who say no never make it happen. It's those who say yes that make things happen thanks for listening to no excuses with john taffer on podcast one download new episodes every tuesday here on podcast one.com the podcast one app and at apple podcasts make sure to rate and review 